Welcome to the Brood Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, plug in your headphones, and let's have a conversation. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Brood Life. This week we're going to be talking with my friend Chris Freeman, who is a pastor here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we are going to just be discussing the topic of racial justice and the church. And uh, this was has been one of my, probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far Uh partly because it's a topic and issue that I'm passionate about and uh, am just taking a lot of time to educate myself about and figure out what I can do myself, which I think is something we all need to keep in mind as we're listening is that you know we individually have a responsibility to uh, do what we can to educate ourselves to... Uh, be a voice for those who don't have a voice to stand in the gap for those who uh, maybe can't stand up for themselves and especially those of us who are uh, white and have a lot of privilege Uh, we can't depend on uh, people of color and people in minority groups to do the work for us to have the conversations to educate us and we talk a lot about that uh, quite a bit in this conversation but this uh, is just a great conversation, especially for uh, if you're a pastor, if you are part of a church who is, you know, whatever your church looks like, whether it's mostly white, mostly black, multicultural, whatever your church looks like, this is good for pastors. This is good for people who are part of the church. And uh, Chris just did, did a great job of uh, explaining his own journey Uh, what they've been doing as a church and what they want to do as a church moving forward when it comes to addressing racial justice and reconciliation in their own body uh, as a church and also in the community that they are part of and just seeing that ripple effect happen. So uh, I, like I said, I really enjoy this conversation a lot. I think there's a lot of good information. Uh, If you are a pastor if you uh, go to a church and you think that this would be really good for your pastor to listen to, uh, I highly recommend sharing this with with them. And just to hear a perspective from a another white male pastor uh, who is doing something proactively in himself and in his congregation to address racial justice in their community and in their congregation. Uh, so feel free to share this with them uh, and get this in their hands. Uh, Chris also gives a lot of great resources that they can connect with to help them further their own journey and even further your own journey if you're listening to this, even if you're not a pastor. Uh, I, I think this is important for anybody who is a believer and who uh, wants to start taking action uh, beyond just words and saying the right things to uh, start addressing racial justice in your uh, community, in your neighborhood, 
in your congregation. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and I hope you guys get a lot out of this. Uh, if you do like this, if you think that somebody else could benefit from it uh, or would uh, enjoy hearing what we're going to talk about, please feel free to share it uh, through social media, email, text message, uh, whatever works for you. And uh, as I've said before, I don't say this just to get good reviews. I really, uh, it really does help get this into the right hands of people uh, and it helps all the algorithms and that kind of stuff out there. So uh, just go out to whatever platform that you listen to podcasts on, uh, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, whatever you listen to podcasts on, uh, go out, uh, rate the podcast, review it, and that just helps it get to more people uh, so we can build this community and get these conversations out to uh, more people that will benefit from it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation uh, as much as I did and uh, just hang tight afterwards and I will be back after this conversation with Chris. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. I'm excited to be here with uh, Chris and we are going to be talking about the church and the church's response to racial justice. Uh, before we get started, Chris, why don't you give an introduction and just take a couple minutes and tell us about yourself. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so my name is Chris Freeman, um, pastor of City Church on the south side of Fort Wayne. Um, and I am a Fort Wayne native for the most part. So born in Texas, lived there till I was about nine and then moved to Fort Wayne. So um, I've been here for most of my life and uh, a proud uh, Fort Wayne Community Schools graduate <laughs> of Snyder High School uh, and proud graduate of the no longer existing Taylor University Fort Wayne. May it yes. rest in peace. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it's kind of ironic because now we're sitting here having this conversation on the, uh, on the campus, the former campus yeah. of Taylor Fort Wayne, where my church is now located. So I often joke around that um, God shut the school down so that we could have our church here. <laughs> so, um, so no, anyway, uh, married. My, my wife's name is Madison. We actually met at uh, Taylor Fort Wayne in college, yep. and then we have two kids. Uh, my uh, oldest, her uh, name is Piper, which I know you said your youngest is Piper. Yep. So I've got. Uh, a six-year-old, soon to be seven, and then I've got uh, a son. He just turned three. His name is Bennett, and um, yeah, we're just loving life, uh, living on the South Side, doing ministry on the South Side, and um, yeah, just just really enjoying this season of life. And our church is uh, a little over three years old, so we're still in the early stages of um, learning what it means to be a church in the community and and for the city and so um it's been an awesome awesome journey for us but excited to have the conversation today yeah awesome and thanks for doing this um you know first off before we even get started like i just wanted to acknowledge that we're two white guys mm -hmm. sitting down having a conversation right. about racial justice if you couldn't tell by the sound <laughs> of my voice i am i am a white man That's yeah right. uh but uh you know can, obviously can i just say something about yeah that go ahead um so I think it's really uh, valuable, actually, for two white guys to sit and have a yeah. conversation about race, not as authority figures yeah. on um, you know many uh, different subjects pertaining to the conversation of race that, that you and I still probably need to learn a ton about. But yeah. um, this isn't a conversation that 
only needs to happen in multi-ethnic um, yes. relationships. You know, it's really important for white folks to be able to sit with other white folks and have honest conversations about race um, that can, you know, challenge each other, encourage each other, and, and learn from each other, as well as, and I'm sure we'll get into it, the there's an incredible importance in also having relationships and conversations with people who yeah. don't look like us too. But, um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, thank you for being willing to <laughs> to uh, engage in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, that's exactly what I was gonna say is that, you know, we have an opportunity to use our privilege and our voice to be able to talk about something that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times I think that we rely too much on uh, people of color to educate us and to start the conversations when you know, we have that opportunity and a place of power and privilege to be able to educate ourselves and start those conversations. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but before we get started, just uh, what has been your own like personal experience when it comes to racism, racial justice, and like kind of like your journey on that? Yeah. So um, I would say uh, that was probably something that I, I started to notice when I was in fourth grade and moved to Fort Wayne. Mm. So I moved from Texas, but the town I lived in in Texas was a small town, um, pretty much an all white community. And then we moved to Fort Wayne, attended Fort Wayne Community Schools and was immediately um, thrust into uh, multi-ethnic environments. And, sure. um, and then, you know, just started to, um, you know, throughout those formative years be exposed to both the beauty of um, you know multi-ethnic relationships but also um, some of the the ugly sides of racism and uh, racial injustice and um, so you know became aware of that middle school high school and then um, really over the last several years have just um, continued to be challenged to, to grow and learn and, um, and be exposed to the issues that matter and yeah. um, in those contexts and, and have learned a lot um, as a pastor in a in a very diverse community and with a diverse church yeah awesome and so based on that uh, what have you been doing at, like as a pastor and as a church to start addressing that issue yeah I think um, so first I'll, I'll speak for for myself sure. first um, learning and and even exposing my own blind spots or allowing mm. other people to expose my blind spots has yeah. been really, really important, really valuable. Um, we all think we kind of know everything mm. or know enough about probably more subjects than we, we really do. Or um, in this case for me, um, there were just a lot of areas where I still needed to learn and still do need to learn. And so I'm um, trying to read great uh, resources. Um, and, and always for me, I, I try to always read from a Christian lens and Christian perspective. Not that there aren't great resources out there. And I've, I've read non-Christian resources, sure. but, um, but I think there's something incredibly redemptive and um, powerful about the gospel when it comes to matters of race and yeah. ethnicity. And so, um, so yeah, so just trying to read and educate, trying to, to um, even like one of the uh, questions that I started asking myself was who are my influences? You know, mm -hmm. who am I who am I listening to? You know, like am yeah. I as a pastor? You know, I'm sure you maybe you you would be aware of this that um, pastors probably listen to more sermons than anybody else, sure. uh, and they they really should because they need to be fed. But also, um, 
that's kind of how we learn yeah. too. And so I just started asking myself, okay, you know, what what pastors am I listening to, and what do they look like, mm-hmm. and what are their contexts? Yeah. And so just um, you know, opening myself up to learn from non-white pastors and listen to non-white pastors more, and um, and then you know, reading their resources, reading books, um, and then also it needs to go beyond just an intellectual level to a relational level and so that's where it's really important to be in relationship for me particularly to be in relationship with people who don't look like me Mm -hmm. didn't have the same background as me same upbringing as i did same culture um, and same expectations and so just um, being very intentional to make sure that the relationships in my life and in my in my family are are multi-ethnic relationships and um yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing as as a pastor, and that what that does is it. Um, so for me, what that's done is it's naturally then helped expose some of those blind spots and helped create even more of a passion in me for racial justice mm. and racial reconciliation. Um, because when it's one thing to read a news story about sure. something really tragic that happens in the nation. It's a different thing to have your friend say, I got pulled over this week mm. and the interaction did not go well. Yeah. And it, you know, was most likely because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And so it just it's just a different kind of relationship at yeah. that point. Um, and then on a church, church level, we have tried to just be extremely intentional to... Um, to be clear about our vision. So our vision, even as a church, our vision statement says uh, that we wanna be a multi-ethnic, multi-economic, multi-generational church. Mm. That's the first three statements in, in the, the vision statement of our church. So just just making that clear from the get-go, like that's yeah. that's who we are, that's why we exist. And um, I understand that like depending on you know, who's listening to this podcast sure. and, and where they live, where they're from, um, not every church can, can say that that's their vision. If you sure. live, you know, in a small, you know, rural community that's nothing but white people, like it's probably going to be hard for your church to be multi-ethnic in makeup. That doesn't mean that you can't still have a um, a passion for multi-ethnic ministry and that can be, yeah. you know, building relationships with other churches outside of your community, et cetera. But for us, um, that's really important because our context is incredibly multi-ethnic. Uh, you know, the zip code that we sit in right now is the most diverse zip code in the entire city of Fort Wayne. Yeah. Every race or ethnicity that exists in Fort Wayne exists in this zip code. Mm. And um, you know, my wife works at an elementary school here in this zip code with 10 languages spoken. Southside wow. High School, which is one mile from where we sit right now, has more than 30 languages yeah. spoken in their school. And so um, that is our community, that is our, our context, and so we wanna reflect that in our, in our church as well. Um, and then beyond that, um, preaching messages that speak to issues of racial reconciliation, uh, issues of racial injustice. Um, the truth is the Bible is, is very clear on this issue. Yeah. Um, I think the American church often neglects it, but mm. um, from cover to cover, um, God's heart for a multi-ethnic world and for justice um, is very clear. Yeah, and so uh, that's been something that's been really um, important for me to just preach those messages, um, to be uh, intentional about who is um, 
put in positions of leadership. So uh, whether it's our, our worship team or um, who's leading our ministries or, or even on our elder team, making sure that, um, that diversity is reflected, um, that you know, at the tables of influence in this church, that, um, that those voices are represented and not as a token voice, but as somebody who can truly share a perspective that's going to be different than mine. Yeah. And that's going to challenge me and sharpen me and push me. And, and then additionally, this last year, um, in the end of 2019, throughout the fall semester, we actually launched a 13-week um, class called A Dialogue on Race and Culture. Mm. And so we opened it up. Uh, we capped it at 50 people. We had a long waiting list, and sure. we had to turn a lot of people away. And um, we invited Ira Kedley. I don't know if you know him, but he leads Fort Wayne United um, okay. in the Ten Point Coalition, and he actually is uh, a member of Headwaters Church. But um, he um, has become a good friend of mine, and we invited him in to lead our church, as he's done his own church and, and a few other churches through a 13-week dialogue on race and culture. That was just really, really powerful That's awesome. and um, really convicting. Yeah. led to a lot of really great conversations. And, um, and then beyond that, for us uh, as a church, it means looking not only internally, like, yes, we need to have these kind of relationships mm -hmm. in our own church body, and we need to deal with these issues in our church body, but also we need to step in the gap in the community. Mm -hmm. So when there's, a, when there's an issue of racial injustice in the community, the question is, like, what is the church's role? And far mm -hmm. too often, unfortunately, um, I think the church is pretty silent yeah and yeah. not not because the church doesn't care but it's a lot of times because the church doesn't know what to do yeah and so for us we've just said that we're, we're just gonna get involved we're gonna get get connected and so we're a 10-point coalition partner church um, we just launched uh, meals for healing which is a, a multi-church effort so whenever there is um, a family that is a victim of homicide mm. in in the city of Fort Wayne uh, meals for Healing is a program where um, churches come along and just just provide meals like you would if somebody had a baby in your church yeah. or somebody was sick in the hospital in your church. These people may not ever attend our church, but we're still going to show up mm -hmm. and we're going to love them. We're going to care for them. And we're going to meet basic needs. Yeah. And so, so those are just a few things that we've been trying to do to to be intentional on these on these issues and on these matters. Yeah. So uh, being involved in that and doing those things, what kind of impact have you seen it have on the people in your church and even on the community itself? Yeah, I think um, one of the greatest impacts that has had initially is um, just exposure. Mm. So I think a lot of people, like one of the things I've, I've heard so much from people in our church is, I just had no idea. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I didn't know, I wasn't yeah. aware. Um, it's also, um, just built some some incredible bridges and some relationships um, that otherwise probably would have never existed, which is really powerful. Um, and then it's also just for me, it's um, I'm seeing it play out as just a a means of discipleship. Um, it really forces you to uh, to ask yourself, what is the gospel really all about, mm. and how does this really affect me and my life and my family and the community around me? Yeah, and um, and and that's the beauty of of multi ethnic ministry is that when you can get, you know, we've got people in our church who you know from different countries and yeah. and um, you know, English is not their first, second, or third language, <laughs> and um, 
when you when you get just such a beautiful mosaic of people together you're kind of forced to to evaluate what what is really the truth of the gospel and what are just some things that we've adopted as an American church mm. and and slapped the gospel sticker onto it but really it's it's not yeah and so yeah. Um, it's been a really powerful discipleship tool for us yeah that's cool so where do you see like you're as a church going forward from this point like what do you do you have any plans for the future as to what you're going to do in this area yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so we're still, like I said, we're still a young church. Sure. We're still learning. We're still growing. I will tell you this. Um, so we, m- myself and our entire staff, went to the um, uh, Mosaics Multi-Ethnic Church Conference oh, okay. this last year. Just as another opportunity for us to learn and grow. And um, the consistent theme that we learned from churches that are further down the road than mm. us on this is that multi-ethnic church ministry is way harder than you think it's going to be. Sure. And it requires far more intentionality than you ever imagined it would. And so whatever we're doing now, like has it like has to grow. And, and we have to go deeper, and we have to go further, and we have to be stretched far more than we are right now. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I think, you know, what that looks like practically for us, um, you know, we're still fleshing that out and, and trying to figure that out. But I know that it's going to require more sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the pastors that I've been learning a lot from over the last four or five years is Derwin Gray. He's... Um, a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, pastors a church called Transformation Church down there. And they're a very multi-ethnic church. And he actually was a former NFL football player, played for the Indianapolis Colts. So okay. <laughs> um, for any Colts fans out there, look up Derwin Gray. But one of the, one of the common um, phrases that he uses in his preaching and in his staff development and um, in their, you know, any, any form of discipleship they're doing in their church is... Um, if you're going to be serious about this, then you have to uh, lay down your preferences, mm-hmm. pick up your cross, and come follow Jesus. And so that's, um, I think for us, just another big step is sure. is to set aside our personal preferences. Um, so I'll give you one practical example of that. Um, and this was just an area of like, like exposing my blind spots, right? Sure. So my entire life, I've spent I've spent my entire life in predominantly white evangelical mm-hmm. Christian churches. And that's not a judgment statement. Sure. Like yeah. there there are a lot of really great things about predominantly white evangelical Christian churches. Like like I'm not against them. They're awesome. My church is one. So yeah. like I'm speaking as somebody who yeah. who uh, lives in that world right now. And in in that experience, uh, small groups have always been central. Yeah. to to my church church background. Yeah. So we were six months in, had just planted City Church, six months in, and we were ready to take that next step and try to get our people to engage with, with each other more and to you know, figure out what does discipleship look like, especially when you don't own a building and you can't have classes. The answer was small groups. Sure. And so I preached a sermon on small groups and how important they are, and I said something along the lines of, if you are serious about following Jesus, if you are really committed to being a disciple, 
you will be in a small group mm. because you can't do this on your own. Like this is an absolute necessity. Yeah. And then afterwards, I got a phone call from two of our church attenders who are good friends of mine, two people that I've already given permission to speak in my life, sure. uh, African-American husband and wife, who now um, the husband sits on our elder team. Okay. But uh, they reached out to me and they said, hey, can we just meet and talk over coffee? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So we sit down at the Friendly Fox right here in the neighborhood and had a cup of coffee. And they said, you know, we, we love City Church. We love being a part of this. It's been really awesome for us. We just have some questions about this sermon you just preached. I was like, okay, <laughs> what is it? And they're like, you know, you're talking about this whole small group thing. I'm like, yeah, what about it? And they're like, well, you use this phrase that like, if you're really a Christian, really a Christ follower, really serious about Jesus, that you'd be in a small group. And they're like, that just kind of seems strange to us. And I was like, well, why did that seem strange? And they're like, well, we've been Christians our entire lives or for a really long time. And we've never once been in a small group. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why not? And they said, because black churches don't do small groups. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean black churches don't do small groups? You know, like why in the world do black churches not do small groups? And so then they went on to explain, you know, the cultural differences between black church mm. and white church. Sure. What they didn't say is that black churches don't do discipleship because mm. they do. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't do it the exact same way that yeah. white churches do it. Yeah. And then they went on to explain the cultural differences even just between black folks and white folks when it comes to how we interact with one another. And they said, you know, in the, in the African-American community, at least in their experience, you know, they're not trying to speak for sure. all African-Americans, but in their experience in, in the African-American community, it's much more communal and familial anyway. Mm. And so they were organically and naturally doing small group on a weekly, if not daily basis. Sure. Always people in the home, always yeah. people hanging out. And it's actually white people who have to set a certain date <laughs> and time and schedule a meeting to yes. actually get together and have something to talk about, right? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's a cultural difference between yeah. their community and, and ours. And so it was just really powerful and really eye-opening for me to go, okay, like, I've got to be careful with the language I use because mm. because what what they were hearing me say is you're not a Christian or you're not a real Christian yeah. if you're not in a small group. Yeah. And they're like, "Look, we're we're willing to give a small group a try. <laughs> like we'll we'll do it. We'll try it. We'll get in one, but like we just needed to know because that seemed really confusing to sure. us." And so just having those kind of relationships where people can challenge you and speak into your life and and expose um, your own blind spots are really, really healthy. I don't even remember what the question was, but I hope I'm no, no, that's perfect. Yeah, to answer it. So I think the question was just how? To, where do we go from yeah. here? And and so yeah, it's just just continuing to press in and and let go of our preferences. I think that's where I was yeah. coming from. Yes, yeah. Derwin Gray talked about laying down your preferences, picking up your cross. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so my preference may be small group. And your preference may be Bible study, right? right? So you may call it Bible study, and it may be in a building for your experience, and mine may be in a home. Okay, well, let's set those aside and ask just what does, what does the gospel say? What, is, yeah. what does scripture say, and what does this mean for us as a church community? Yeah. Um, one other thought on just our next step, and this, this is just coming from my own personal experience, but 
Um, so I, the example I gave earlier about a friend getting pulled over was a real example. Mm -hmm. And let me first say, um, I have tremendous respect for the police. We have several police officers who attend my church. Yeah. I'm not anti-police. Yeah. And um, I think that most police officers are really, really awesome people yeah. who have the very best intentions. Um, that doesn't mean that there still isn't a disparity between the way many African-Americans uh, experienced police officers versus how many white folks of privilege experience yeah. police officers. Yeah. And so in this particular case, my friend got pulled over, had a really, really terrible experience, and he is um, just an incredible guy. Mm -hmm. Amazing man of God, um, man of integrity. Um, I think he got pulled over because he had a tail light out, and then the interaction from there just went really downhill. Yeah. And if he wouldn't have kept his cool and his calm, it could have ended really, really terribly. Yeah. And so when he shared that with me, it really challenged me to move from saying, man, I'm really sorry that happened to you, and thinking to myself, I would never do that. Mm. Because the truth is, and I would hope anyway, that I would never treat someone the way he was treated. Yeah. So that's what I would call not being a racist, mm. right? Yeah. But there's still a huge gap between not being a racist and actually being anti-racist. Racist. Yeah. No, and so good. that was a moment of conviction for me to, to say, okay, well, I'm not just going to say I'm sorry that happened to you, but no, I'm actually going to be proactive mm. and stand up for my friend and you know, try to be a part of the change that needs to happen and create change. And even if that means, and this is where for a lot of white folks, it gets real convicting mm -hmm. and also really challenging. Yeah. I think a lot of white folks would say, I am against racism. I sure. don't think it's right. I don't think it's good. And I would never do it. But when you cross from that line to now I'm standing against racism and taking a stand, mm -hmm. then you're putting yourself at risk in a way that you know you, you didn't have to before because of your privilege. Yeah. But when you cross that line, then now you potentially have a target on your back and um, it gets um, even more complicated and more messy because of social media, because of media yeah. in general, because the way politics yeah. are involved in these conversations. And so all of a sudden you take one stand on one issue that was personal, right? So, yeah. so I may take a stand on a single issue that my friend experienced, and then that may label me by a whole lot of other people as um, a liberal or yeah. as, you know, um, you know anti-Trump or yeah. as all these other things that, that may get associated with this, this issue right and yeah. um and i have to decide like okay i'm not going to worry about all those things mm -hmm. because this is actually an issue that matters and so yeah. i'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand there and that's so that's where i'm at personally and i think that's where our church needs to move yeah as well oh that's good um and you kind of like hinted at some of these as you've been talking but what are some like practical things that like churches or a pastor could start doing to like actually address the issues because i think that there's a lot of churches that 
uh, and I've seen churches do it where they have a Sunday where they talk about it, mm-hmm. but it just was like, we're going to talk about it, right. like, it, and they acknowledge that it's an issue, but then, like, it just never gets brought up again because, I, you know, maybe it just kind of, like, makes them feel good that they're addressing it, but, you know, I, and I think that you would agree with me that mm-hmm. it needs to go beyond just talking about it on a Sunday morning and yeah. has to, there has to be some action behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the first thing I would say is it, it can't be a one-time thing. Yeah. Um, because if it's a one-time thing, that's you checking off that box, like, yep, we did our, we did our part, you know, we, we you know, checked off our um, racial reconciliation Sunday yeah. so we, yeah. can, <laughs> we can move forward and get past it. Yeah. Um, this isn't something that we move por- forward and get past. This yeah. is something that we, we uh, you know, jump into and, and wade into and stay there. Yeah. We don't, we don't you know, separate ourselves from it after we talked about it once. Um, what I would say is, first of all, I would speak to the, the pastor, um, like not, not for real, but like if whoever's listening to this, sure. like, like starting with the pastor um, and say, you know, do some self-examination. Mm-hmm. Like here, here's the thing, man, like the, the word racist gets thrown around so much that um, I think so many white people are so afraid of being labeled a racist on any level that they don't yeah. even know what to say. They don't know where to start because yeah. they're afraid like, well, if I say the wrong thing, then I might come across as racist. So I'd rather just like like totally remove myself entirely from any of those situations. Um, and, and I've had this conversation with many minority friends and they've agreed with me on that, that like, like the term racist gets you know, people get labeled so quickly yeah. and so easily that it's actually not helpful. Yeah. Because the truth is, it's more of a continuum. It's not either you're a racist or you're not. It's that we all have some some racism in us on some yeah. level. We all have some biases. We all have some some prejudices in us. And um, and so to begin to do some self examination and say like, okay, you know, like what are some of those things in my own heart? You know, when I think about a, a person of a certain race or a certain color or a certain background or a certain culture, when I think about somebody wearing, you know, a hijab, what do I think about versus, you know, when I see somebody that looks just like me in, mm. a, in a supermarket? And, yeah. um, you know, what are, the, what, are the, what are the areas in my heart that need to be, and even take that before the Lord, you know, like, you know, search my heart, God, yeah. you know, expose within me the sin that's in my heart that I can't even see. Yeah. And, um, and then from there to begin to try to intentionally formulate relationships mm. and not transactional relationships yes. that are like, I just want you to teach me, coach me, get my information so that I can get better. But like, no, like just genuine, real relationships yes. with people that don't, don't look like you. Yes. And so, um, and that, that's true for every race. So this isn't just a white church issue. Like Derwin Gray, uh, I've referred to him a couple times already, but uh, I went to a training that he also um, does, and it's um, called the High Definition Leader. It was a two-day intensive, and he talked about how this is a every church issue. Like, mm-hmm. like black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, you name it. Like Korean churches. Like we all need to to acknowledge the fact that like because of sin we tend to yeah. only associate with people that look and act and, and live just like us 
Yeah. And particularly so in the church. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just begin formulate those relationships and um, be intentional about that and to um, do your homework, start reading, mm-hmm. start learning from other people. Ask that same question, what pastors are you listening to? You know, yeah. if, if uh, you know, all your pastors are white and preaching to <laughs> middle and upper class communities, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you're missing it. You know, yeah. you're missing a, a um, segment of our population that, that Jesus cares incredibly yes. much about. And so, um, so, yeah, I would say that's a great place to start. Um, and then beyond that to, um, to even f- find as close as you can in proximity you know, like I said, there may be churches who you're in a rural community, and so you're you're not probably going to have a multi-ethnic church. It's just probably not going to happen. Yeah. But ask yourself, where's the the closest community in proximity to us where we can begin to formulate some relationships? Because white evangelicals love multi-ethnic ministry when it's across the pond. Yeah, like we love it. Like Absolutely. we're all about we're all about doing ministry <laughs> to Africa. Yeah, and ministry to Haiti, yeah, and ministry to South America, but man, when it's across the street or across yeah. the train tracks, yeah, it's a totally different story. Yeah, and so to ask yourself, like, what's the closest in proximity community to me that doesn't look like me that I can begin to build some relationships with that can be more than a once a year or one week out of a year kind of relationship, yes. but something that you can begin to engage in and you know once a week or once a month and begin to build those kind of real relationships because i think it i think relationship is just critical to all of this that's where we're gonna gonna learn the most be challenged the most and grow the most yeah and you kind of already like talked about this but uh what would you like what kind of advice or what would you say to somebody who either a pastor or a lay person just somebody in the church um that they feel compelled to like speak out and to uh, kind of stand in that gap for people who may not have a voice, uh, but they're afraid of like the backlash and the conflict that is going to come with that because, I mean, it's just almost a guarantee that there's going to be some backlash when uh, a white person starts standing up for somebody of color, uh, especially nowadays. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would say, first of all, I would say, know that you're not always going to get it right. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, like, sometimes you're going to think that you're actually advocating for someone, and you you may not be. Mm. So, like, go into it with a like serious dose of humility. Yeah. Um, I would say, ask a lot of questions before you start. Um, speaking as any sort of authority mm-hmm. on an issue because a lot of the the racial justice issues are um, very complex yeah. and systemic yep. and so things that we think are solutions may actually not be it may just be a band-aid mm. for a battle wound and that's not the real solution and so yeah. we may be advocating for something that that isn't actually all that helpful yeah um, that doesn't mean you can't use your voice but just just go into it with a serious level of humility mm-hmm. um, and I would say be cautious about being a keyboard warrior That's um, yeah I think I think for 
too many people, especially in the day and age we live in, we feel like, um, you know, reposting, retweeting, resharing, or commenting, uh, you know, on the state of issues in our world yeah. means that we've done our part. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so that's where we leave it. I think less is more when it comes to social media. Um, not that you shouldn't say things, and there are times where I have said sure. things on social media, um, but, but check your heart in that, like what's yeah. your motivation? And um, instead, like be more intentional about this in the real world, um, you know, having real conversations with real people and, and also like having conversations or being a, an advocate where it can actually create change. Mm. So uh, posting something on Facebook probably isn't actually gonna change a single thing in your community. Yeah. yeah. But requesting a meeting with your city councilman, mm. your mayor, elected officials, or whoever, to share your concerns will probably yeah. go much further yeah, than true. than um, you know posting on on Facebook yeah um, and then or or even in your church community right so like yeah. if you're a Christian if you're a believer like man this should start in your church community in your circle and so um, you know just start there and and have these conversations with leaders in your church with um, those who are in positions of influence and authority and um, and then you know let it let it go from there. But but also like you said, there is going to be backlash. Yeah. Um, but I think what so I'll say it like this, and I've, I've I've preached this before. I have learned um, through this journey that it's not helpful at all to feel guilt for being white. Mm. Like that doesn't do any good for yeah. anybody. Yeah. And. I'm at a place where I would say, com with complete honesty, I feel absolutely no guilt whatsoever for being a white man. Yeah. Um, that is the result of two things. My mom and dad decided to, you know, get together and create a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that baby was a white baby yeah. because they're white people. Yeah. So if it's anybody's fault, it's theirs. I blame them. <laughs> And then secondly, uh, this is how God made me. Yeah. So it's also like if, if you start feeling guilty for the color of your skin, like you're you're making a pretty dangerous judgment against God. Like he created you that way. He made yeah. you that way. So yeah. there's no reason to feel any, any white guilt. Yeah. On the other hand, there is inc incredible amount of reasons for us to feel responsibility. Mm-hmm because we are in a unique position. We are in a position of, of privilege. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's not something that, that we need to feel guilty about, right. um, but we should feel responsible for it. Yeah. So because we have privileges and the reality is the majority of the wealth in the world, particularly the majority of the wealth in America, is still owned by white folks. Yeah. Uh, the m majority of positions of influence and leadership and and authority are white folks. And so, and, and we're still a majority white nation. That's yeah. the reality we are. Yeah. Now that's gonna change actually in your and my lifetime. Yep. We will be a minority major, majority by, I think it's the year 
2050, yeah, I think it's 2050, right. America will be a minority majority country. But at this point, we still have a lot of privileges that come along with that. And so it's not feeling guilty for it. It's, it's simply acknowledging it and saying, yeah, that's right. We have some unique privileges. So let's leverage those to advocate for yeah. our minority brothers and sisters and care for them and serve them and stand up for them. Um, and know that yeah, there's going to be there's going to be backlash that comes along with it, um, but the reality is the world we live in as a believer. In in this day and age, yeah, it's only going to get worse too. Like there's going to be more backlash for uh-huh. standing up for a lot of things yeah. as, as believers. So, yeah. um, so part of me wants to say just like, well, get used to it. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Don't know if that helps. No, that's great. Um, and then kind of the final question, like what. Uh, as you've been doing this, look. What are some resources that you've been able to get a hold of, or you've been using yourself that you think would be beneficial for other people? Yes. Um, so I mentioned earlier, the High Definition Leader mm-hmm. is a book that Derwin wrote. Derwin okay. Gray wrote. I read that, and then um, if you're a pastor or a church leader, you can apply to actually go to the training as well. Okay. Um, so. Um, there are some stipulations and some some kind of requirements for that, but uh, anybody can read the book. Really, really great book, so I highly recommend that. Um, John Perkins, he's been doing this for a really, really long time. Um, he's written several books on this matter. Um, let me see. Actually, I'm gonna. Hopefully, I won't move the microphone too much, but I've got a, a list of books over here. I'll see if I can um, find some. So, One Blood by John Perkins is really good. Um, Right Color, Wrong Culture by Brian mm. Loritz is really good. Um, let's see, what else do I have over here? Um, earlier I mentioned just making sure that you're, you're hearing uh, voices yeah. that don't look like you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just looking out into the, the, the reality is we have such an advantage over every other generation in that. Yeah. You can get just about anybody's sermons, anybody's blog in, a, in an instant, right right to your computer. And so um, regardless of, of who that is, and I would say it's really important too to not just look for, you know, white and black, but look, look across the board. Um, yeah. And particularly like in your community. So if you're trying to reach a multi-ethnic community and let's say you've got, um, you know, a, a lot of um, Korean folks in your community, well then do some research and find out like, okay, who are some of the the uh, you know key Korean or, or American Korean Christian leaders that you can begin to learn from and, yeah. and hear their voices as well. Um, I know um, the Gospel Coalition, I think is who it was, did an MLK 50 anniversary event, and you can still get all of the videos, all okay. the resources from that event, but man, they just had such a wealth of, um, of just incredible speakers and presenters um, talking about issues of racial reconciliation and justice. Um, let's see, uh, Mosaics, I mentioned the Mosaics mm-hmm. Conference. It's actually, I think it happens every three years, so okay. it's kind of a, a unique um, model, but um, I would highly, highly recommend looking into, they have lots of other resources as well that, um, that they share. Um, so if you just look at, it's like the word mosaic only with an X at the end, mosaics. Okay. Okay. So those would be a few that I would recommend. Awesome. Um, and then just finally, like if anybody had any questions or 
uh, wanted to just know more about what it looks like to pursue this and they wanted to contact you and talk, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, so I am on social media. Okay. I'm on Facebook. Um, so just look up Chris Freeman and you'll find me. Uh, if you're in Fort Wayne, it's pretty easy to find. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, you can email me. It's really easy to remember. It's just my first name, Chris, at forthecity.com. Okay. Um, that's just our church's website. And um, But you can email me there. And uh, those, those options, probably one of those three would be pretty easy to get a hold of me. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Guys, wasn't that such a great conversation? I uh, Chris has just a really good way of talking and explaining and just sharing his heart and his own journey with humility and also a passion to see change happen in his life and in his congregation and community's life. And I love what he's doing. I love what his church is doing and just the hard work that they are willing to put in in order to see change happen in their lives and in the lives of those around them. Uh, thanks again for listening this week. I hope that you got uh, as much out of this as I did. Uh, if you uh, know somebody who wants to hear this or would benefit from this, like I said before, please share this with anybody that you think would uh, get something out of this and enjoy listening to it. Uh, thanks again for listening and uh, making this such a great season so far. I uh, hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy out there, and I will see you again next week for our season finale.